we thank you. Um, we just thank you for these young people that are here uh, just leading us in the worship and the hard work they put into it. We know their rewards in heaven, but we appreciate their desire to bless the congregation. And Lord, what you're doing through the hearts of our young people, and uh, it, it is exciting, but through everyone that is desiring to just um, be a light, to grow in your word, to walk in your ways, to be here on Wednesday nights and, um, you know, take in Bible studies. It's exciting. And Lord, I really do believe that the best is yet to come. And Father, so we pray for, for Easter week. We pray that it would be a blessing that people would come and, and um, hear the gospel. And, and if anyone comes in the following weekend and next week and the weeks ahead that don't have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray that they would come to know you and receive forgiveness and, and eternal life. And, um, and Lord, that we would be faithful to the gospel and to your word and not deny the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we make plans for Vacation Bible School, that you would put on the hearts of, of people here to get involved, to reach out into the community, to, to be able to, to love on kids and give them truth. So we commit it all to you. We pray for your guidance as we plan, as we um, just get things ready to go. And uh, it's going to be honest before we know it. And, Lord, we look forward to the days ahead. And whatever days we have, um, that we want to be faithful and wise and uh, continue to serve you in the way that we can and the giftings and opportunities that you've given to us. But as a congregation here, Lord, my prayer more than anything is that we wouldn't boast in ourselves. We wouldn't boast in a name, Calvary Chapel. We wouldn't boast in anything but Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we give you the glory and that we would be humbled before you, that we would uh, look to you for strength in everything, for guidance and provision, that we wouldn't have to strain or strive or try to make things happen or get into marketing and all this other stuff. But, Lord, a movement of the Holy Spirit through this, this congregation is what we desire, um, to uh, pour out your Spirit on us, and to use us in a way as you direct us. So bless this time tonight as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we ended last week in chapter 16. We didn't quite get through chapter 16. And, and I want to start in verse 7. Because there are some considerations here that I think are important for us to look at. As David, it is a, a Mitchum of David. That word Mitchum used for the first time that we've seen in the book of Psalms. And it has the idea of a secret psalm. I, I think that David just uh, really had this in his heart. And uh, as he expresses his hope uh, and faithfulness in, in the Lord. And it is a messianic psalm, as we're going to see. But in verse 7, uh, David writes, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. And my heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And you will show me the path of life. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So uh, one of the things that we're reminded of is David, we see over and over again in his, in his songs here, 
that he writes that, Lord, you're my counsel. I go to you, that you show me the right path. And, and I pray, and I think that we are all getting it, aren't we? That he is our counsel. We go to his word. We are led by him. And every time that you see the word counsel or counselor in the scripture, it always makes reference to God's word, to going to him, as the Lord is called in Isaiah chapter 9, the wonderful counselor. And you see, as we go to him, and as we go to his counsel, to his word, as we are led by the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, hearing the still small voice of the Lord, and remember this, that the Lord is not going to, as he speaks to your heart, and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, it's never going to contradict what the word of God has to say, but we go to him for counsel. And in this book, you know that there's answers to every area of your life. And they're the right answers, and they're the true answers. And he will lead us to the right path. You see, in the book of Psalms, there's a, a definite distinguish between the path of the wicked and the unrighteous and the unbeliever versus the path of the believer who's going to the Lord for counsel, who's looking to his ways. And we see that David, that over and over again, even tonight we're going to see that he defends the word of God. Because one of the things I think that we're seeing being diminished in the church, and when I mean the church, the church as a whole, uh, a trend that we're seeing is, is that not only is there a doubting of the inspiration of the Word of God, but the sufficiency of the Word of God. Do you believe in the sufficiency of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, that it is truth? And David's going to write, the Word of God is proven. In other words, it is true. And if any of us say any portion of the Word of God that is not for me, then we're headed down the wrong path. So David was one, in his wisdom, he would say that, I bless the Lord who has given me counsel. We always want to go to him, even as Isaiah chapter 30, as we see that the Lord was saying to the people of Israel, come to me, come to me for counsel. Don't go to Egypt because Egypt is going to deceive you. Going to Egypt, literally, that's what they were doing, wanting to go to Egypt to help them against the Assyrians. And the Lord said, those fast Arabian horses are not going to help you. They're going to let you down. They're going to stumble. But in coming to me is where you're going to find strength. And coming to me is where you're going to see my grace. And I'll be a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I hope, again, that all of us are understanding that when we need counsel, that we go to God's word for counsel, we go to him, the wonderful counselor, and he will lead you to the right path. So David here, he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. In other words, what David is saying, stay close to the Lord. Stay close to him. Let him lead you. Be at his right hand. You know, I shall not be moved. There's safety and stability that is there as we're staying close to the Lord and as we are heeding his word given to us. So his heart is glad, he expresses in verse 9. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. His hope is in the Lord. His hope is in the Lord. It's not in the world. And it's not in man's counsel. It is in the Lord. Why verse 10? Verse 10, this is what makes this psalm a messianic psalm. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Verse 10 here, when you go to the book of Acts in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when Peter's given the gospel, he quotes this verse and attributes it to Jesus' resurrection. 
And then in chapter 13, when Paul began that uh, missionary journey, he's on the first missionary journey, as he's preaching in the synagogue, he also quotes from verse 10 here, and he attributes it to Jesus' resurrection. And even as we saw on Sunday that Peter, that he's writing about this wonderful salvation that we have, and he writes, as we saw last week, if you were here, in our study, that even the prophets of old would write about it, not quite understanding what it was that they were writing about. So great is the salvation that even the angels were in awe over it. They were intrigued by this salvation, that, that God would love us so much that he would send his son to die for you and for me. Angels marvel over that. And the prophets in the Old Testament writing about, you know, the suffering Messiah. And David does. We'll see that in Psalm 22. Isaiah does. And other portions about the Messiah coming who's going to suffer, but also the reigning Messiah. And also speaking of not only his death, but his resurrection, his conquer over sin and death as he rose from the grave. You're not going to leave my soul in Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then verse 11, you will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Interesting, isn't it? People want to have joy. And we've been talking a lot about joy lately because it's expressed that David had joy, and one of the ways that you and I can have joy is David knew this 3,000 years ago. It always kind of intrigues me or... I don't know if it bothers me or just kind of, I kind of chuckle about it, but books that come out in the Christian bookstore about the secret to, you know, joyful living and all of this, there's no secret to it. David knew what, you know, how to have a fullness of life 3,000 years ago, and that is in your presence is fullness of life, Lord. Stay close to the Lord. My heart is glad. I shall not be moved on my right hand. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You know, the world comes along and says, get involved in this carnality and this sin. Get involved in worldly pleasures. But there is godly pleasure. And godly pleasure is that we are close to the Lord. And in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. So you want to have a fullness of joy? Stay close to the Lord. Even as in John chapter 15, remember that Jesus said, abide in me. And as you abide in me personally, that is you're staying connected to me, as you stay close to me, as you abide in me and my word and my love, then Jesus said that you will keep my commandments. And that as you abide in my love, you'll have a joy that will be complete. So you stay close to the Lord. You go to him for counsel. He's going to show you the right path. And you're going to have a fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. You're truly going to be satisfied and fulfilled and have real purpose in life as you just are going to be surrendered to the Lord in all of your life, in all of your ways, as you look to Him to counsel you in every area of your life. So David, he, he writes something very important that I wanted to pass along. I didn't want to skip over this. But now Psalm 17, this is simply a prayer of David. And we can't pinpoint a specific time that David wrote this. But I think that David probably wrote this, you know, while he was running from Saul. And uh, during the time that Saul was pursuing him that we read about in 1 Samuel. But it, we know that... This is one of five psalms that are identified as prayers, and the title is simply A Prayer of David. 
And he prays, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on things that are upright. So David cries out to the Lord. He presents his case to the Lord, and it is a psalm that here he maintains his integrity. He wants God to vindicate him. So we think of that time that David wanted that when he was running from Saul. Remember that Saul threw a spear at David not once but twice. And and Saul was so angry at David and full of jealousies. He wanted David dead. And he pursues David for many years in the height of David's life when he was in his 20s. And David is saying that in my integrity of heart, and we're going to see that he is going to present his heart to the Lord, that he wants to be vindicated. And we know that David in 1 Samuel, that he had opportunity to, to kill Saul twice. But David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. In other words, in my integrity, Lord, you put him as king. I'm going to let you remove him as king. So David was trusting in the Lord. His integrity in that area was very important that he just allowed the Lord to work. And David was anointed as king. And and I know that, Lord, you're going to put me in that position when the time comes. So in verse 3, you have tested my heart, David writes. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. And so you know my heart, he says, and the Lord does know our hearts. Listen, you can't hide anything from the Lord. You may be able to hide something that's in your heart from people that are close to you, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your boss, whoever it might be, but you cannot hide anything from the Lord. Everything is open and naked before the Lord, and He's the only one that truly knows our hearts. Solomon, when he was dedicating the first temple, he would make that statement that, that God is the only one that knows the hearts. And, you know, I've been married to Sue for 25 years. She knows me. I know her. We've grown in her love and and knowing each other, and we know each other pretty well. But God knows her heart better than I do. God knows her heart better than she does. He knows my heart better than I do. And so he's the one that truly knows our hearts. And here David says, you have tested and tried me. And it is good for you and for me to have God visit and try our hearts. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing each and every day to say, Lord, here's my heart. Try my heart. Examine my heart. And I think it's very important for us to do that because it's a heart issue. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just the outward. But, Lord, is there anything in my heart that is there that is not pleasing to you? Is there any sin of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger or lust or any of those things? And Lord, you try my heart. And Lord, you test me. And Lord, you examine my heart. And as we humble ourselves before the Lord and do that, he will bring those things out. All of a sudden, you begin to realize that, Lord, I I was lusting after this thing. Or, Lord, I was being prideful here. Or, Lord, I'm beginning to be bitter in this area. And that's what's wonderful about being a Christian is that we can do that. And the Lord is faithful to examine our hearts and to bring us to that place of, you know what, there's something there that isn't right. I want you to repent and give it to me. And that's a good thing for us. 
And David does this, and notice he has confidence in this prayer as he's given this prayer. I have purpose, he goes on and he says, that my mouth shall not transgress. As we read it, you know, that's a good prayer because our mouths can get us in trouble. And the Bible has a whole lot to say about how we speak. And a good prayer is, Lord, help my mouth not to transgress. I don't want to speak any corrupt word, as Ephesians 5 says, but that which is necessary for edification. I want my speech to be seasoned with salt. Lord, and grace, I want, Lord, to build up, be quick to hear and slow to speak. And here David, he says, my mouth shall not transgress. And David says, I kept everything I've done in the light of your word that has kept me from going down the wrong path. Again, he's talking about a path to go down. He says, I keep everything by your word, verse 4, uh, of your lips, and, and I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. You know, if we're ones that, again, we take counsel from the world or from those who are rebelling against the Lord, it's a wrong path to go down. Uphold my steps in your path that my footsteps may not slip. And we're going to see that David over and over again in the Psalms, he writes about stability that is there, uh, sure-footedness that is there as we are just traveling down that right path as we're seeking God's counsel. And that's what he's talking about in these verses here. And God will keep us on the right path and he'll keep us secure. In verse 6, I have called upon you for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. And keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. So David is praying, Lord, keep me safe by your power. We can have confidence in our prayer because God does hear us. And David He recognizes that, and that's good to know, isn't it? When we cry out to the Lord, just as Jeremiah later on would write in chapter 29, verse 12, that when you call upon me is what the Lord told Jeremiah, tell the people, even though they're off in captivity, even though they've sinned, even though they have rebelled, you go and tell them that if they call upon me and pray to me, I will listen to them. And as they search for me, I will be found. So the good news for you and for me is that we can have confidence in the power of God. We can have confidence in prayer to God that he hears us. And then also, as David in verse 8 here, he speaks about that we have the protection of God. God protects us because we are the apple of his eye. And the eye in your, you know, our eyes are the most sensitive part of our bodies. In other words, if anything, you come and, and, and you know, touch my eye, it immediately is going to blink. Any dust, you know, any, any um, foreign object that comes in, immediately the eye protects itself by closing right away. It's, it's the way that God has built it because it's so sensitive. And, and it's the most sensitive, you know, part of, of, of the body. And it needs to be protected. And so the Lord is going to protect us. We're the apple of his eye. He's going to protect us. That's what David is speaking here in this poetic language. And then also, uh, under the shadow of your wings, will you keep me, Lord? Hide me there. Uh, Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Of course, it would be in Matthew chapter 23 that Jesus, in that last week 
uh, before he went to the cross in, in Jerusalem. He's weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, you know, to myself. How I long to gather you as, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But she would not come. The Lord wanted to bless and to protect, but they would not come. You know, somebody was telling me of a story that, um, that they, they saw that, um, that there was a, a fire that went through and, and a dog put the puppies, dug a big hole and put the puppies in the hole and the fire went over it and it protected the puppies. Just that instinct. There's a story that I remember reading years ago that there was a fire that went through Oklahoma and went through a farmhouse and it burnt a barn down and, and a lot of the animals were killed and a lot of the chickens were killed. But as they were removing one hen, the carcass, as they picked it up, that charred hen, that all of a sudden under its wings, all these little chicks went running out because that hen protected those chicks. And that's what the Lord desires to do as, as we pray. David is praying, Lord, hear my cry. You hear me. You have the power to you know, deliver me. And Lord, you desire to protect me. Keep me under the shadow of your wings, Lord. Uh, I am you know, the apple of your eye. Hide me in that place of protection. Keep me protected. And so David is crying out to the Lord in that prayer. And then in verse 10, they have closed up their fat hearts uh, with their mouths. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes, crouching down to the earth as a lion is eager to tear his prey. And like a young lion lurking in secret places, arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword and with your hand, verse 14, from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possessions for their babes. So here is, as David is writing, he, he describes his enemies. They're very proud. Notice here that he says they've closed up their fat hearts. In other words, that their hearts are very prideful and very arrogant and, and um, you know, very big, fat hearts. Speaking of that term of, of you know, uh, their hearts are not towards you and humble to you, but they're full of pride and arrogance. They want to tear me apart. They set their eyes on the world. They lurk in secret places. But Lord, I'm going to depend on you. And I think that this psalm here gives us some insight on how Saul really he was and those who were with him who were pursuing David. He says, like a lion eager to tear his prey and like a young lion lurking in secret places. That's the way Saul was. He was so angry at David. He's describing those who are coming against him in that way. And we need to remember this, that we have an enemy that Peter, we're going to see in that epistle, that's going to write that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you be watching, you be sober, you be vigilant. And it's very important that we are doing that, that we're watching, we're sober, and we're vigilant because the enemy is like a lion seeking who he could pounce on. And he's looking for any of us to get sleepy spiritually, to go into his territory, to go down that wrong path, Make sure that you're on the path of the Lord, that you stay close to the Lord, that you're looking for him for protection. The enemy's still going to try to come against you, 
but don't go into his territory because he wants to pounce on you and he wants to tear you apart. So here David, he felt that as these guys were coming against them. And then verse 14, they have their portion in this life is what he writes. And I think what David is saying is they have some satisfaction, but their only reward would be in this life. It's not in the afterlife. You contrast that, what we read in verse 16, that David wrote that, Lord, you are my portion. You are my portion. And then in verse 15, he writes, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. David is here describing the future of seeing the Lord. Always remember, and I think this is important, that we're going to see the Lord someday. We're going to stand before our Lord. That's our future as believers. And as Jude says in his little epistle, that as we will stand before him, that he will present us faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. John would say in his epistle that when we see him, we will be like him. David, he says, I shall be satisfied when I awaken your likeness, when I see your face. We're going to see our Lord's face. We're going to be presented before the Father faultless, not because of us, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we're going to see the Lord. And then John goes on to say, when we see him, we shall be like him. And he who has this hope purifies himself. In other words, that if you're one that you realize every single day that I'm going to see my Lord. And maybe today, maybe tomorrow, we don't know for any of us. But when we live in that way, keeping our eyes on the Lord, knowing that we're going to see him, then it has a purifying effect on our life. That's why I always kind of get frustrated of, of those who come along and say, well, Christians shouldn't be looking for the return of the Lord, you know, or, you know, shouldn't be so heavenly minded that there are no earthly good. That's a bunch of nonsense, all right? We should be looking to the Lord. We should be looking for the coming of the Lord. And John says, he who has this hope purifies himself purifies his life in other words if you really believe the lord could come for us at any time tomorrow's in promise for any of us the lord could come back at any time then i'm not going to be involved in carnality and worldly things i want to live for my lord each and every day because life is short here and i'm going to see him so david has such so wonder he's called a man after god's own heart can you see that just going through these psalms that he desired to, to go to him for counsel. Lord, that in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. At being at your right hand. And Lord, you have the power to protect me. I trust in you. I, I cry out to you. You examine my heart, Lord. And David, he's so articulate in writing these things. And he says, I'm going to see your face and I'll be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. And then Psalm 18, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so I shall be saved from my enemies. So this psalm here is one of the longer psalms. Only three, uh, three other psalms, I believe, are longer. And David writes this after 
He defeats his enemies after Saul was killed there on Mount Gilboa. He is going to be the king of Israel. And he writes, first of all, as he praises God, because he is God, the God of deliverance. And David expresses the love that he has for the Lord. Oh, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. So David expresses his love in verse 1, and he expresses his faith in verse 2, and then his hope in verse 3. But in this, as we read this, the first three verses, he says, the Lord to me is this personally. And, And there are nine things here that are listed that the Lord is to us. And David knew that. He said, the Lord to me personally, as you read this, is my strength. I will love you, Lord, my strength, my strength. He gives us the strength in life, and he gives us the strength to get through life and in those difficult times. I am so thankful that the Lord gives us strength in hard times. I think those who are non-believers, how do they have the strength to get through some of the things that they have to go through? And I am so grateful that the strength of the Lord is available in those times when we get tired and weary. When we get tired and weary and we're weak. And that's where we can rely on the strength of the Lord. He says, you're my rock. Again, it speaks of a place of uh, being secure, sure-footed on solid ground, standing on firm ground, Jesus, you recall in Matthew chapter 7, he told us that you and I are to be the wise men that built their house upon the firm foundation, that is, upon the rock. So when the rains came and the storm and uh, blew against the house, the winds and the rains beat against the house, that house was able to stand. That's the one who hears these sayings of mine and does them. But don't be like the fool who built his house upon the sand. So when the storm came... The great was the fall of that house. That's the one who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. So the Lord is the one that he is our rock where he brings stability into our lives. And it comes by walking in obedience to him and staying close to him. You are my rock, Lord. I'm going to build my life upon you. Upon you. Not upon the sand of the world, but upon the rock of my salvation, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, you can write down in your notes, he's my fortress. Of course, a fortress is a place of protection and safety. When we were kids, you know, when we were kids, we were always outside playing. And um, and in the block where I grew up in in Kansas, in the summertime, we spent all day outside and into the evening running around, and we would have little block wars, you know. And my dad was one day, he always brought these big blocks home, you know, and we'd build these fortresses, and, and uh, we would, you know, uh, one end of the block, there was a pear tree, and the other end, there was an apple tree. So, you know, one end of the block, the kids, you know, we'd have war with the other end that had the apple trees, and, and we just had fun doing that, but we'd build fortresses all day long, and I remember, as long as you're in that fortress, you were safe, you were good. And then when you went out, you really had to watch yourself. And it was just a fun time. So a fortress is something that is a place of protection and safety. And Lord, you're my fortress. I want to stay close to you. Uh, I'm going to hide under the shadow of your wings. Uh, I want to stay in that place where I am safe. And you're my deliverer, fourthly, as David writes here. 
personally, you're my deliverer. He had delivered David from his enemies. And he has delivered you and me from the greatest enemy, and that is sin. And that's why next week we rejoice during Holy Week. We rejoice every day because we're delivered from sin. But I pray that um, this Easter, this Holy Week, wouldn't just be, well, here we are again this time of the year, and that we would really, it would impact us. We've been delivered from the greatest enemy, and that is sin. That we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. And listen, the Lord desires to deliver you from the power of sin. They may have some kind of sin or carnality that has you in bondage. He desires to deliver you from the power of sin on your life. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that has saved you and me. Is the same power that wants to free us as we cry out to him, as we depend on him, as we stay close to him, as we renew our minds with the things of God. All those things are so very important. Sometimes people ask, you know, what can I do in life and, 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 and you know, how much carnality can I have? Can I do this? Can I hang out there? It should always be for us, Lord, how close can I get to you? Lord, I want to meditate on your word day and night. Lord, I want to be surrendered to you, and I want to walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's a promise from the book of Galatians. And I understand there's real struggles that we can have. There can be a sin. There can be uh, some sort of carnality that seems to have a grip on us. But know this, that he is your deliverer to free you, to free you. You keep crying out to him. Stay close to him. Hide under the shadow of his wings. He's your fortress. He is your rock. He's your salvation. And also, number five, David goes on and he says, he's my God. We have relationship with him, with the true God. And again, that's the basis of our Christianity. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. We have relationship with him. And that's so glorious. And it comes through Jesus Christ. And then number six, he's my strength. David uses that term again, my strength. But this is a different Hebrew word than in verse one. It means a source, the origin of our strength. You know, the world tells us to, you know, have a stiff upper lip, tough it out. You got to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and all of this. But I'm so thankful that the Lord, he is my strength, but he's the source. He's the origin of that strength. That is, the Lord says, be strong and of good courage. It isn't in my own efforts. It isn't me saying, okay, I've got to be tough, eat glass, and, and you know, I've got to muster up this, this strength because that strength will fail. But the Lord is he as he is the origin and source of that strength. It will remain. So you're the one that kept me strong during all these years that David was running in the wilderness. Think how difficult that was. He didn't see his family. Matter of fact, his parents were sent off to Moab. And it is suggested by some rabbinical scholars that the king of Moab killed David's parents, Jesse. That's why David went to war against the Moabites. So David was taken from his family. He was in the prime of his life. And, and yet the Lord was his strength during that whole time. 
And in our journey in life, we need him to be the source of our strength. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves being weak if we try to do it in our own efforts. And then David writes, number seven, you're my shield. Again, it speaks of protection from the attacks. Ephesians chapter 6, a lot of you know it, that in Ephesians chapter 6, they were to put on the whole armor of God. Part of that armor is the shield of faith. The shield of faith to protect us from the fiery darts that the enemy throws at us. The shield of faith, I believe in your word, I believe in your promises, Lord. They're true for me, and I'm going to rest in your promises, and I'm going to, to stand firmly on what your word declares to me, knowing that your word is proven. It is true for me. It's true for my life because I have a relationship with you. And then number eight, Lord, you're my horn, as he says here. You're my horn in verse two, uh, uh, the horn of my salvation. Horn speaks of power in the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ, again, that as he rose from the grave, that same power that rose him from the grave is the same power to save you and me. And then in number nine, you're my stronghold, a high tower, in other words, where you could see the enemy at a great distance. This is why he is worthy of praise and trust and confidence. And listen, nobody else can provide that. No one else can provide that. It's the Lord. As we go through these Psalms in the early part, what I'm seeing and will continue to see is the Lord is everything that we need. He's your satisfaction. He's your joy. He's your counsel. He's your protector. He's your strength. He's your deliverer. He's your fortress. He's your rock. He's your shield. He's everything that you need. And as we stay close to him, we're going to see him working in such mighty, powerful ways in our lives, trusting in him every moment, moment by moment, folks. Look to him, live for him, day by day, moment by moment, and know that the Lord is true, and know that you are special to him. You have special relationship with him. David had confidence in the Lord. Do you have confidence in the Lord? That he is everything that you need. So, Father, thank you. As we stop here, Lord, uh, we, we just thank you for this time that we've had in your word tonight. As we see that you are everything that we need, our salvation, our protector, our deliverer. Lord, you're everything that we need. And so, Lord, we thank you. And, Father, it's my prayer that if any of us that are here that we doubt that, that, Lord, that you would examine our hearts. That, Lord, that we would truly trust in you and rely on you and look to you for everything, to be our counsel, to lead us in the right path, to be our joy, our pleasure, to be our strength, our salvation, our rock, 
that we would not doubt that. And Lord, that you have the power to work in our lives in whatever situation that might be. That we can pray to you and call out to you and you hear our prayers. And Lord, that you are the one that is our provider. So Father, thank you for this time tonight. And I do pray that if there's anyone here tonight that you don't know if you have a relationship with God or if you're right with God, you don't know what would happen if the Lord was to come back or your life was to end tomorrow, this week, next month, whatever, that you can know with certainty. Because what God's Word declares, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what that means is that you realize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And a call on Him means that you are trusting in Him for your salvation, His provision of forgiveness of sin, you realize that you're a sinner and Jesus went to the cross of Calvary for you. That he died and shed his blood for forgiveness of sin to make atonement. And Lord, it's my prayer that even as we see that David wrote that he would rise from the grave, he would not see corruption and that our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life. So if that means anything to anyone listening tonight, will you turn your heart to Jesus? He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He died for you. He conquered sin and death. He's your deliverer. And you pray right where you're at. Jesus, I come to you a sinner. And you died for sinners for me. For me personally. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. And you rose from the grave. And thank you for your love for me and delivering me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I now surrender my life to you completely. Sit upon the throne of my heart and lead me to the right path, Lord. Be my counselor, my protector. Empower me to live a life after you, Lord. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. For all of us as we leave this place, Lord, may you bless the rest of our week. May you work in a powerful way. May we just have our hearts be before you as you try us and examine our hearts because you want to do a work and getting rid of those things that are unlike you and conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. So thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand? If you need any prayer at all, I'd be happy to stay here and pray with you and bless you in that way. Remember.